Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today we continue our series, The Reason for Our Hope. So let's turn in our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 to 16, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Certainty in Uncertain Times. Well, Christmas is behind us and New Year's lies ahead. As we face the new year, some of us are brimming with confidence and some of us, well, a little less so. And if there's one thing I wish to impart today, it's that your hope for the future depends not one bit on whatever the external matters you face. Your hope for the future depends entirely on the promises of God. See, I'm reminded of James 4, 13 to 15. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. All talk of security on this earth is an illusion. We are like a mist. You may be hit by a car tomorrow or... Well, good health and fame and money may be the upshot of all your hard work. But you don't know, for these matters are in God's hands. He's not only sovereign, he's meticulously sovereign. And so we should always add the words God willing to all our future plans or even our future fears. Now, we might allow thoughts of uncertainty to so consume us that that we feel we can't even get out of bed in the morning. Our fears and insecurity can lead us away from confidence and trust. We can become overwhelmed by threats around us, and so we begin to make foolish decisions. So I want to tell you the story of Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah 7 is a passage of Scripture that that fits the Christmas theme very well, but but it also fits the, the New Year's theme very well. It's the account of where certainty comes from in an uncertain world. So I'm reading Isaiah 7, 1 to 2. It says, In the days of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. So let me explain what we just read you're going to notice that there are three kings mentioned in this passage. The first one is King Ahaz. He's the king of Judah. Ahaz lived over 700 years before Christ. He's, he was a direct descendant of King David, and he was king in Jerusalem. Now, that's very important because according to the Bible, God had promised David that the Messiah would come from his lineage. David's son would inherit an eternal kingdom which would be established forever, and the day of fear would end. That's the hope that's attached to the throne of David. Now, in Ahaz's day, Israel as a nation was divided into kind of like North and South Korea. The North was called Israel, and the South was called Judah. Now, remember that Judah's capital was in Jerusalem, and Judah was the nation that had David's ancestor on the throne, and Judah, well, that was the nation that had the temple of God. And Israel to the North had become a pagan nation. So here's what happened. Two kings attacked Judah. The first was Rezin, and he was the king of Aram, or in our language, he was the king of Syria with its ancient capital in Damascus. 
The second king is Pekah, and he's the king of Israel. Now, these two kings launched a two-pronged attack against Judah. Rezin came along the eastern portion of Judah, and he invaded the port city of Elath and cut off all of Judah's trade route to the sea. And Pekah, who was the king of Israel, launched a general campaign against northern Judah, and he slaughtered many people. Indeed, they slaughtered 120,000 Judeans in only one day. They captured hundreds more. The Bible calls that act a rage that reaches to heaven. Now then the two kings surrounded Jerusalem and put it under siege, hoping to conquer the city and kill King Ahaz along with his entire family, and then replace him with a puppet king and effectively end the line of David and bring to an end any hope of the promise of a Messiah. See, I wish I could tell you when I tell you this story that this is a classic battle between good and evil. The problem is that the man who is supposed to be good, well, that man, the king of Judah, the man that sat on David's throne, well, he himself was an intensely evil man. See, the book of 2 Kings chapter 16, verses 2 to 4, gives us his historical background. It says, Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. But he walked according to the way of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offering, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. So let me explain all of this. Ahaz, the king in Jerusalem, was an idol worshiper who thought nothing of the law of God or the temple or the promises of a Messiah and of the hope of the ages. He burned his son to death on the altar of a pagan god. Also, you ought to know that the spiritual life of Judah was equally bad. Isaiah the prophet had already said that this people was a people of unclean lips whose heart was far from God. So imagine the metaphor of Isaiah 7. At the attack of Syria and Israel, the hearts of the people of Judah were shaken. The future looked bleak and black. Hope had vanished on the horizon. What was going to happen now? But that's our lesson for uncertain times. You know, we like they can easily be shaken. What I mean is that we lose our steadiness or our confidence. That's what happens whenever bad news hits us, news that threatens us personally. And if it's not the economy or something global, all this uncertainty can become intensely personal. You know that. Remember what James said? He said, our lives are a mist. Your health can fail tomorrow. Perhaps it's already failed you. You could lose your job. Some of you already have. You could lose your marriage. Some of you have done that. You see, bad news moves our hearts as trees are moved in the wind. So let's continue to read Isaiah chapter 7, verses 3 to 9. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jeshuv, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear. And do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria, son of Ramalia, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it. Thus says the Lord God, 
It shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is resin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Now, it's clear to me from what we've read that the location of the meeting between King Ahaz and Isaiah the prophet is very significant. Ahaz seems to be checking out the water supply for Jerusalem. Is the city going to maintain itself during the siege to come? And as he's checking his reinforcements, he looks and there comes Isaiah the prophet, the the preacher who always disturbs him. He's got his boy with him, and that bugs Ahaz. The preacher named his boy Shear Jeshuv. It, it means a remnant will return. It's, it's as if the prophet were saying that all of Judah was going to be destroyed, but, but a small remnant would survive. How Ahaz hated this man. He was perpetual bad news, always reminding him of his obligation to the God of Israel, always reminding him that, that God holds people to account. No doubt he was coming to remind him of his sins just now. It was bad news to be sure. That's all he needed. And then Isaiah speaks. And what he says is utterly surprising and unexpected. He reminds Ahaz of the threat. The enemies of Judah want to tear this country apart and they want to kill you. But then he says, it shall not stand. It's not Judah who will be destroyed. Israel itself has only another 65 years of history to go. They're going to be destroyed. In fact, that's exactly what happened. The Assyrians, a rising menace from the east, would would soon sweep down on Israel and destroy the nation and deport the entire population into slavery and resettle the land with other people. It's not your number that's up, says Isaiah. Their number is up. Well, Ahaz had not expected that. And then Isaiah adds something breathtaking. Look at verse 9. In effect, what he's saying is that the only way that Ahaz was going to personally survive was by faith in God. Now, that's relevant. Uncertain times, as we've said, can leave us shaken. We stand or fall by faith. And that's a word to anyone who's discouraged about the future. We stand or we fall by faith. Happy New Year from all of us at Back to the Bible Canada. We're praying that the Lord would bless you and your family as we begin 2021. As 2020 comes to an end, we can't help but reflect on our partnership with so many across Canada who have made this Bible teaching ministry possible. We're constantly amazed at the kindness and generosity of so many, young and old, who value this ministry. Your support helps people of all ages and stages to discover Jesus, the light of the world in the pages of the Bible. If you'd like to know more about how you can partner with us this upcoming year, give us a call at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. May the new year bring you happiness and peace, wishing you a joyous 2021. You know, when you're healthy and when you have money and when the respect of others is flowing to you, you know, when your marriage is in great shape and your kids are doing well, it is easy to be confident, don't you think? 
But when trouble hits and your job is gone and your, your bills are piling up, it's, it's easy to lack any sense of confidence. You fall prey to your fears. But listen, God does not want us to look for certainty in earthly events. You see, if the stock market crashes, well, what's changed? If you look to God and Him alone for your support, what has changed? Uncertain times remind us that we can't trust in this world. See, God wants us to find certainty in the promises that He's made. So let's continue to read our text. We come to Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 to 12. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. And Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. See, it seems clear to me that God, through the prophet Isaiah, is trying to give Ahaz a living faith. And in consequence, he tells him to ask for a sign. See, Ahaz then responds with with monumental hypocrisy. He actually quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, which forbids putting God to the test. Now, you might recall that Jesus himself quoted from this passage, and the occasion was when the devil came to him and tempted him to throw himself from the pinnacle of the temple to see if God would send his angels to rescue him. And Jesus said that he would never do that on the basis of Deuteronomy 6.16. He would not put God to the test. But here, God is telling Ahaz to ask him for a sign, and Ahaz refuses. So, so why is that? Well, it's because when Ahaz made his plans, they didn't include God or his will. You know, years ago, I had a friend who was a committed atheist. And I remember the day he received a letter from his son threatening to kill him. He made copies of that letter, and he gave me one copy, and he asked me to give it to the RCMP in the event of his death. I remember the day that his wife left him. His life was coming apart. We were sitting in the living room, and he was crying. And I said, Steve, I'd like to pray for you. It was at that moment as if my words were as menacing as the sound of a rattlesnake. He looked at me and his face changed in an instant from from profound sorrow to intense anger. He said, don't you dare. I refuse to have your God involved in this thing. You see, when we look to God, we we enter into a relationship of trust, of love, of obedience, and of worship. And Ahaz was saying that that he would never, no matter how terrible his situation was, ask for a sign from heaven. And this, if you read it carefully, is, is a horrible refusal for a man who needed God so desperately was absolutely refusing God because he knew well enough that God would demand his life. Let's keep reading. Isaiah 7, 13 to 16. And then he, Isaiah, said, Hear then, O house of David, Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. So let me try to connect the dots. We've all heard Isaiah 7, verse 14 quoted at Christmas. It's the, the, the account of the virgin birth. But how is that connected to the tense situation in Jerusalem some 750 years before the birth of Jesus? How are these events connected? Well, you'll remember that Ahaz turned down the opportunity to see a sign from God. 
And indeed, Isaiah says, God is wearied by you and by your household. He's tired of you. But Isaiah said that Ahaz would see a sign anyway. A virgin would conceive. Well, it's clear that Ahaz never saw the coming of Jesus, for that was still over 700 years away. But but nonetheless, if you look at verse 15, you're going to see that a child is going to be born, and before that child could eat curds and honey, or, or before that child could eat solid food, before he would be weaned from his mother's breast, the two kings that Ahaz feared would be destroyed. And, and God's telling Ahaz, just so that you're never going to think that the deliverance that you're going to witness came from your gods, I'm going to give you a sign that will forever cement in everyone's mind that I did it and not you. In fact, that's exactly what happened. Just a few years later, the Assyrians conquered both Israel and Syria, and Judah was free, and the days of terror had ended, and God had saved them. The sign was fulfilled exactly as Isaiah had said it would be. But there's something else in this passage, and I want us to look again at verse 14. The Lord himself, it says, will give you a sign. Now, the problem with the word you in the English language is that it can be both singular or plural. You know, I can speak to an individual and call him you, or I can speak to a large group of people and I can call them you. Now, you might be interested that that our American friends try to solve that problem with an interesting word, and it's the word y'all. I mean, they say that when they refer to the plural you. But that being said, under most circumstances, we in the English-speaking world can't tell if the word you refers to one person or to a group of people. So when we read verse 14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. At first reading in our English Bible, it seems like Isaiah is talking directly to King Ahaz, the unrighteous king. After all, our English grammar makes it seem that way, but not in the Hebrew. When read in the original language, what's happening becomes crystal clear. Isaiah is now not speaking directly to Ahaz. Ahaz will be told that a child is going to be born. Before he's weaned, the threat to his kingdom will be over. But that's not the sign of verse 14. In Isaiah 7:14, the you is not singular, as we might expect. It's plural. When Isaiah says the Lord himself will give you a sign, he means that the Lord himself will give a large group of people a sign. It may be that Ahaz would ignore God and refuse a sign, but God would offer his own sign of hope to the whole world. But think of it this way. All of us are not unlike Ahaz. The future is always threatening, and we are always sinners. And God's interested in giving sinners hope, in giving sinners reason for faith. And in the fullness of time, a child would be born to a virgin. And this would be a sign from God to anyone who was looking for reasons to have hope. You know, some time ago, I, I heard of a pastor in South Vietnam who went to prison after the communists had won the war. He was terribly treated and he was left alone. But he kept on going, deeply rooted in his faith. On the prison wall, he had scratched one word that he stared at every single day. It was the word Emmanuel. God is with us. That's the only sign that I need to never lose hope, to remain strong and courageous. You know, in a way, we can all identify with King Ahaz. Ahaz was a man who lived in difficult times. 
He inherited the kingdom from his father, King Jotham. Already in Jotham's time, there was war brewing between Judah and the countries to the north. You know, Ahaz didn't create the difficulties that he faced. He inherited them. And in order to deal with his enemies, he was intent on making treaties with whomever would help him. And so he sacrificed to the gods of his enemies because the Bible says that he reasoned that if those gods helped his enemies, maybe they would help him as well. And then he went to the Assyrians who were strong and seemingly invincible. He borrowed their ideas. He borrowed their gods. He thought they might help him. You know, we might have argued that he was doing the best with what he had. He was taking help in living wherever he could get it. But in the process, he forgot all the promises made to his father David. He forgot about the Messiah. He, he forgot the true and living God. He forgot the God who delivered Moses and Joshua, who defeated the Midianites in the days of Gideon. When Ahaz died, the, the only thing that could be said about him was that he provoked the Lord to anger. I mean, his life ended with tragedy. When life presses us hard, when our worst fears come upon us, some of us simply panic and we abandon faith. It was C.S. Lewis who said that it's not rationality that threatens our faith, it's, it's boredom and lust and jealousy and terror. These threats to life launch us hopelessly into darkness. Our fears create our unbelief and our unbelief drives us from God into a world of evil. The birth of Jesus is the sign of hope to a world that so desperately needs reasons for hope. The Lord himself will give you a sign, a virgin will conceive, and when you look at that sign, you'll have all the reason to never abandon hope in God. John, earlier in today's message, you mentioned the fear of what God might demand of us. Is that the great stumbling block to our faith, that demand of God? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's why so many of us won't run towards God, because we know that God will demand our life from us. And uh, however, however, I would always say in response to that, however, when God takes our lives into his hands, he returns to us joy, security, and an eternal hope. In other words, once having surrendered our lives to God, it's, it's the best thing that can happen, but we must come to terms with that. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. As you know, Back to the Bible Canada is committed to sharing the good news every single day through our radio Bible teaching and a wide variety of audio and video resources. While buying time for radio teaching on stations from coast to coast is costly, it's a cost we believe is of high value. As listeners right across Canada in small and large communities are reached with excellent, trustworthy Bible teaching. All of our ministries rely on the generosity of people like you. And this month stands out as critical as we look to close the calendar year and strong for the new year ahead. Our goal for December 31st is to raise $376,000 to support our ministry work. Please consider investing in our efforts to help people of all ages and stages to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. 
Call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.